Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Sarah Ashley, Kevin Satorius, Brian Moriarty, and Sean Moriarty. I got a thing for you guys. Remember a few episodes back when we played the, uh, the Seven Degrees of Separation game? I do remember. We're going to do that, that again was tonight. 10 episodes ago. Was it really? Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't get to play this game, but I'm excited because when I listened to it, I remember playing this game with Brian a lot, and I think I'm going to do pretty well. All right. You have to connect Michael Sheen and Jesse Eisenberg. Michael Remind Sheen. me who Michael Sheen is again. He, he was played in Frost uh, Nixon. Frost Nixon. He also played oh, okay. Tony Blair in The Queen. He That's was right. also in Tron Legacy. That's true. So Michael Sheen and Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, crap. <laughs> I'm leaving this to you guys. I'm letting you do it. No! I, I picked him. I, so I think it's... I might got it. I think I might have it. Okay. Um, I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to take it slow. So. <laughs> uh, Giggity. He's into it, Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Start channel. It, it, He's okay. going in dry. So, some, someone's going to have to guide me in. <laughs> um, let's start with Michael Sheen. And we'll have him start with Frost Nixon, who is in that with, let's see. Kevin Bacon was in that. Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon is so easy to connect. Yeah. So uh, let's use Kevin Bacon. Yeah, so you know, you guys can do it out loud. It's not a competition. Yeah. So it's a he was effort. in Frost Nixon with Kevin Bacon, who was in Hollow Man with no one we care about. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Footloose with that chick who played Carrie in Sex and City. Um, <laughs> and Jonathan Lithgow. The thing is, I can't remember anybody who was in like Social Network, and that's the person I'm thinking of right away. Oh, was he ever in a movie with Woody Harrelson? No, that's what I'm saying. Do Je- yeah, do Jesse Eisenberg to Woody Harrelson. You can use the cast of Zombieland for this. Okay, so... Emma Stone Bill was Murray. in Zombieland. Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Bill fucking Murray. Oh, good point. Okay, so starting, so starting Abigail over... Abigail Breslin. So we're going to have to do this as a team, I think. Do we know a movie that Jeff Bridges was in with either Bill Murray, Woody Harrelson... Uh, well, he was in R.I.P.D. with Ryan Reynolds, if that helps connect yeah, to Emil Stone. that's right. Oh, yeah. Um, and Abigail Breslin was in uh, Definitely Maybe with Ryan Reynolds. There you go. So that's, oh, there that's we go. Like, okay. So there's, there's our connection. So, so let's formalize it. Did we just connect Jesse Eisenberg to Jesse Eisenberg again? We've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> we have. No, no. So Jesse Eisenberg was in Zombieland with Abigail Breslin, who was in Definitely Maybe with Ryan Reynolds, who was in R.I.P.D. with Jeff Bridges, who was in uh, Tron. Tron with uh, Michael Sheen. Boom! Done. And fun. That's pretty good. That was not too shabs. Do we want to do another one? Or? Cause no. Okay. no. I think that's good. Well, I, so, oh, Jesus Christ. I picked, it was ants. We've been invaded by ants. They're not ants. They fly. These are flying bugs. They're fly ants. They are ants that fly. Oh. That's a new, we there you go, new news. sci-fi fucking movie right there. Flying ants. Half fly, half <laughs> ants. Get it off. Get it off. <laughs> on that note, welcome to Nerds on Film, everybody. 
I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Sean Moriarty. And I am Kevin Sutorius. Um, so I picked those two people for so for some relatively specific reasons. Um, they were both in movies that were kind of based on a true story. So um, as we mentioned, Michael Sheen was in Frost Nixon, which was based on based on actual events happening and actual actual series of interviews. And um, Jesse Eisenberg, most famously, was in The Social Network, which was you know about the start of Facebook. Which kind Based of, off of the accidental billionaires, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, leads into our topic for tonight, John. Based on a true motherfucking story. Hooray! Yay! Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, two movies, by the way, which um, there are some discrepancies and well, and that's, inaccuracies. That's the biggest thing, right? And I think that's probably what we're going to talk a lot about today is what compromises are being made in true stories um where is it that they say that it's based on true story just as adding an element just to have that especially for scary movies it's a pretty um useful tool to you know make it seem oh my gosh this can happen to you in real life you're all gonna die uh versus something that's um you know maybe more uh biographical or something like that and they take liberties with the story to make it appeal more to the audience right definitely so do you want to kick us off on that, Sean? Or? Yeah, sure. Because this um, was your topic that you suggested. It, it was my topic because I there's a lot of people out there who go to see movies just because they're based on a true story. It's become a huge marketing tool. For some reason, people just eat up the idea of a, of a movie that's based on a true story. And I don't think a lot of people, though a lot of our, our nerd followers and friends probably understand, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't get that most of these movies are loosely based on real events if even based on any real events at all they might have been just based on a real person or real premise and they've completely fabricated the entire story right so what's the one what's the movie that really um you know prompted you to want to do this the movie that really prompted me to do this was one that is completely 100 percent just bullshit okay (laughs) and that is uh that's the movie fargo and when the movie fargo starts the title screen says this is a true story the events depicted in this film took place in minnesota in 1987 at the request of the survivors the names have been changed but uh out of respect for the dead the rest has been told exactly as it occurred now when this movie came out and shortly after and to this day people still make treks to fargo north dakota and brainerd minnesota right near the border there because they think all this shit really happened and the Coen brothers in interviews especially as I got their double disc DVD version of uh, Fargo they admit they just did it as a marketing tool and as as a way for the audience to suspend disbelief yeah, in exactly. the story and they so people think based on a true story which I know I thought when I first saw that movie I thought for sure it happened and it's just complete bullshit. They just totally made it up, but people bought it, and, and for some reason it made them enjoy the movie more. And I'd love to talk to you guys about why that is. Why, why do you guys think that that is such an important marketing tool? Why do people want to go see movies that are based on true stories rather than just creativity? I think it's because when you hear something has really happened, you can connect to it more. There's this feeling that uh, it's not illusion anymore. It is something closer to what you can get connected with in real life. And um, people will always find that interesting. Yeah, that's my thought on it. What do you guys think? Well, um, and I a room full of silence. Well, uh, <laughs> as I kind of mentioned, well, I was waiting for Kevin to see if he wanted to say anything. It's been awfully quiet to today. It. <laughs> um, but no, I 
I mean, like I mentioned with the scary movie things, it was the same deal with Blair Witch Project, you know? Um, oh, totally. And I actually yeah, fell hook, line, and sinker for that movie, too. Sure, so sure. Back then, people, word didn't spread like wildfire about the production of a movie and what the ploy was like it does now. And I know when I went and saw I saw it with Mom, Brian, and I thought for sure that was real footage. And then I saw the three people that were in the movie in a Doers ad <laughs> in a magazine. It was like, wait, those Doers? people that died in the forest... Love scotch. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I do think that definitely with the scary movie aspect, um, and same thing with uh, the strangers, which um, yeah. was inspired by true events, which means they basically took some inspiration from Still the Manson murders. The shit out of me. Oh, absolutely! But that's the idea. Like it can happen to you in real life, and and stuff like this actually happens. So uh, yeah. it, it's the thing where yeah, you're buying into the story, being like this is for sure. Um, I think for um, when you do like biopics. It's one of those things where you want some character insight into the people you admire or the people that you're fascinated by. Social Network kind of offered this whole other, and, you know, there's a lot of debate as to, you know, what was so factual about that. You know, Zuckerberg himself actually was not necessarily pleased. Yeah, most people who work at Facebook say that Zuckerberg is nothing like the way they put yeah, it in yeah. the film. But, you know, giving some sort of reasoning, some sort of backstory for these things that have such cultural impact, um, again, to make it more relatable. So. Yeah, and the thing is, they have to they have to follow a narrative. You have because honestly, we all know all most movies in Hollywood have a clear framework, and it's very slightly varies. It's there's a framework to a movie, three act structure, ninety percent plus of movies follow this structure. And in order to do that, and in order to create these characters in a way that people will find appealing, I think they have to manipulate the they have to manipulate the narrative by changing characters' motivations and changing people like Rudy, for example. In the in real life, the coach that coached Rudy wasn't a douchebag and actually wanted him to play that last game and put him in the last game. And he's such a nice guy that he signed off when they made that movie for them to turn him into a villain. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's completely different in real life, but but they had to, it helped the story along. If you have right. this coach villain, it pushes the story forward and makes an antagonist exactly. for everybody to hate. Well, but let's be. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say the underdog story thing is really really powerful, especially in America. Absolutely. We all yeah. love a really because we good, are the underdog. Yeah, we love underdog stories. Yeah. Well, we were an underdog. Yeah. Now we're, now, we're, now, now we're the overdog. The the over. Wow. No. No, we're just a dog. I've heard an overdog yeah. once, but that that was something very different and requires some flexibility. But anyway. <laughs> Don't want to know. Um. Um, no, but if you look at, uh, and you know, most commonly a lot of sports movies and stuff. Um, most the, sports movies. The Fighter Except for has a lot of historical inaccuracies too, um, but a lot of it is basically, you know, in the movie, um, the guy's, uh, like, Ward is coming off of a losing streak, a four-game losing streak, but it takes place in 1988. That did not, that four game losing streak didn't happen until 1990 and actually his career was looking a lot better and he had more knockouts and his his um you know stats were just way better than what they were depicting in the movie yeah. if you look at the blind side the the main character uh michael orr actually has <laughs> he actually is not a huge fan of his 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 portrayal in the movie um he says that the family was captured pretty accurately and all that but he actually has more personality is significantly more well spoken and the movie 
basically kind of makes him out to be like a little bit more of a savant like a monosyllabic savant yeah he's like this quiet awkward monster that can tackle people yeah but that and that's the <laughs> but other thing has a heart of gold yeah and that's the other thing too is actually in other words a higher brow version of the water boy yeah and, the, yeah and the kid you know makes him it's the youngest son that teaches him how to play football in the movie he already knew football he, he was he was raised up watching sports even though yes he was bouncing around from foster home foster home being homeless and stuff he still knew sports so basically it's kind of made him a little bit more of a pity character in that mm-hmm. so i would and say I, to expand this for a second it's not just film america loves a good story and unfortunately it's not just the film industry that will do it it is any form of mass media that will extrapolate upon the story and fabricate details or exaggerate details to make the story more compelling we see it every single day on even local news you know yeah. there are certain details that are extrapolated unnecessarily in my opinion, I, I just I was trying to figure this out, and uh, in terms of why I think audiences really like stories that are based off of um, true events, the only thing that I was able to really figure out because I've had dozens of conversations with other <clears throat> people that I've actually talked to them about this, it's the idea that knowing that this has happened, to be honest, like that's it. I've I'm like in the minority with several of my friends where I prefer something that has never happened before, like an original movie. So that way it's like, you're going in fresh. It's you're not, there's nothing to expect except that it's an original story. But I guess with um, the friends I hang out with, they, since it's going to be based off a true story they they have an expectation. And for me, I don't like having expectations when it comes to a movie. Well, it's the same thing when we look at comic book movies too, you know, if you're, if you have a well-established story, something that's already um, ingrained itself into uh, a certain cultural, you know, know-how. You, a collective consciousness. Almost. Yeah, you you yeah. expect, you have expectations for how that's going to portray. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, maybe with some of the lesser-known biopics and things like that, when I'm going into it, I'm just, like, fascinated, like, please do enlighten me a little bit more about Ray Charles or whatever, you know, which actually I just saw Ray not too long ago. It was really, really good. Yeah, Ray is a great movie. movie. And does uh, definitely does take liberties, though. Yeah, but Ray is also great, and it manages manages to be a hybrid of both a biopic and a musical at the same time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And there's definitely things, though, like that you know completely skew into the sense of historical fiction, where if you're looking... and. I found this mostly with with older stuff, but if you look at The Other Boleyn Girl and Elizabeth, you know, these are movies that are talking about very specific characters and history, yet things are all out of whack as far as timelines, characters, relationships, etc. You have to call them historical fiction because it's definitely not history. Well, that, you get an uh, alternative take on it, yeah. You you should call them historical fiction, but um, I found a few movies that just really... Uh, there's decisions made that are clearly like shrewd decisions that were made to just sell a movie like the movie 20 did you guys see the movie 21 i did see that a long time yeah so in the movie 21 the mit uh blackjack team in real life was almost completely asian but they made everybody white because that's what they can sell except one asian there was one asian in that 21 uh yeah there was one asian and and in reality i think there was one white person and the rest were asian and for those who don't know the story it's a bunch of mit students who believe they can they figured out a way to count cards where they couldn't be detected by the dealers Mm -hmm. so that they could win blackjack yeah right yeah or yeah or good morning vietnam the guy from good morning vietnam in real life was a detroit disc jockey 
who was a staunch Republican, supported the war, never spoke out against anybody. That's like the main thing of the story is that he's this left-wing liberal who hates the war and bucks the system by getting on the radio and saying bad things about the army. But he never once did that, ever. They just took a disc jockey... And we're like, okay, there's a guy who was a disc jockey. Write a story that completely so, goes so in the opposite less, direction. They more or less just took the personality and attached no, that to somebody else. Not, not that even. much of a personality. Yeah. Not even. Robin Williams' personality was completely different. The, yeah. What was that guy's name? Um, Adrian Cronhauer. 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 Yeah. Adrian Cronhauer. Just complete opposite of Robin Williams in every way. Yeah, That's he was really like a pretty straightforward guy, n- barely cracked any jokes type of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and if you look at Argo. That movie actually significantly downplayed the role of the Canadian government. Yeah, and it did. Oh, and then also Ben Affleck's character was actually Hispanic. Yeah, actually. Um, well, they so mentioned that, but just that he doesn't look but as Hispanic. No, you guys, actually, this is this is America. Everything we do tries to downplay the Canadian government. <laughs> sure, <laughs> truth. Unless it's a movie about hockey. <laughs> um, but no, if you look at well, just to speak about the Hispanic thing, um, I read somewhere that. Uh, Tony Mendez, the original Tony Mendez, he's like half half Hispanic. He doesn't even really consider himself Hispanic. Oh, like okay. that's not a big part of his his yeah. persona. So it the, wasn't that big of a deal. Eric for him. would like me to mention that when we saw Arco, the one issue he took with it because they show you the real people mm-hmm. in the credits, that Ben Affleck is the only person who looks nothing like yeah. the real life. Yeah, person. but the real guy is not sexy. <laughs> I don't want to fuck the real guy. I want to. F- I mean, I'm saying this from the point of view of a chick. I. If I were <laughs> I wouldn't want to fuck Sean Moriarty, film nerd, and latent homosexual. In the Daredevil costume. (laughs) But yeah, actually, uh, if you guys do want to check it out, you can go to the... um, Because I just want to go through all of it right now. But if you go to the uh, Wikipedia page for Argo, they list a lot of stuff about the historical inaccuracies in it. Specifically, yes, that Canada did a hell of a lot more in helping them um, and did not, you know, almost turn them away or anything like that. They were never actually in, in, in... imminent danger like they were like when they go um do that that scouting trip that scouting trip didn't happen and they you know they weren't getting like all these crazy dirty looks you know oh you guys might be american it wasn't quite like that a lot of that was heightened for drama well, so. well let's, let's yeah. make a current parallel jobs that just came out this weekend there's this scene in which steve jobs and steve wozniak talk about forming the computer company they don't call it apple yet but they just know that that's going to be their company wozniak even said in an interview this scene never took place hmm. And it's a critical scene. I mean, I haven't seen the film yet myself, but it's apparently a critical scene to moving the it's plot a, it's forward. It's a critical scene in the movie, but it's probably just a way for them to be like, all right, from this point to this point, we have to shorten. Let's just yeah. put them in a car together, having a conversation about it. It's it, These are choices yeah. that are made in order to maintain story structure. I've also been told that that movie was grossly mistitled because even though it says Jobs, really it should have been called like the story of apple because it's yeah. exactly what it is it's straight it apple is computer, it's about not. apple it's not it doesn't get into deep like honestly as far as i know do, do, don't they skip a lot of um the time after he was kicked off the board pretty much before yeah. he comes back yeah so they completely gloss over him working for or creating next and the whole pixar, pixar thing yeah no that's bull i'm sorry this is coming from a pixel no you cannot gloss yeah. over that well, if you look at... Um, Hopefully Aaron Sorkin does better. <laughs> if you look at biopics about Coco Chanel, Coco before Chanel, Coco avant Chanel in the French title, um, they don't really talk about her... They, it kind of stops, basically, before World War II, so it doesn't really talk about her involvement with Nazis. And then if you look at the Shirley MacLaine American made-for-TV movie, 
Coco Chanel. That one kind of does a back and forth between like older Coco Chanel talking about her life in the past. And that one just definitely glosses over it. Like they just like, yeah, and then this happened. She helped out (laughs) some Nazis, actually met with Himmler himself, and then used her uh, royal connections in England to get out of being charged for war crimes and shit. So, (laughs) yeah. Wow. There's a lot of there's a lot of things to make the characters more lovable that have been cut out. Like, uh. Here's one that my girlfriend loves, and when I was researching this, I told her about it, and it like broke her heart. Uh, the Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, yeah. That yeah. means all so, kinds of So wrong. in real life, the guy actually did work for Dean Witter for the training program, but right before and during the first four months of that training program, he didn't even have custody of his son, and he wasn't with his son at all. So that whole part of him being in the bathroom of a gas station with his kids sleeping in there, all that part, all of that that makes you really feel for that character is complete bullshit hmm. and he wasn't arrested for parking tickets in the movie he was arrested however it was for domestic violence against his ex Holy and if they crap. yeah if they they glossed over that because you wouldn't believe that will smith was a a character you want to love if he backhanded his wife in the <laughs> face right yikes yikes yeah oh you forgot the the, uh, the fact that he also dealt drugs too yeah he dealt drugs and he did some <laughs> they left that out. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's San Francisco, so I yes, guess. Yes, but but in but when you look at the whole story, him getting involved with Dean Witter, he did get out of his slump, and it, so it was a rags to riches story. Except in real life, stories are much more complicated and more effed up, and people's journeys are much more rough than they show you in these movies. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, I mean, we've talked about this uh, almost in every episode. It seems like, but um, like what you said, Sean, when it comes to a person's real life story there's so many dips and dives and things to accomplish and you know trials and tribulations and everything uh yet when you look at a biopic it is very much the hero's journey like type of arc where yes there are some of those moments where you know something goes great and bad but it is very similar to how you would see like a superhero or a fantasy other uh, style movie as well speaking of underdog stories and hero's journey i'd like to take a second to talk about a, a staple of my childhood and sean's as well a uh, little film called A League of Their Own. Love that movie. Don't worry. Ooh, yeah, I that, fucking love that movie. So that was a part of your Evelyn. childhood. That was part of my childhood, too. Sean, you remember? You're still missing the cutoff man. <laughs> That's something gonna we're going to have to work, work on, on before next season. season. Okay. And he's like, <laughs> I love when he hits Stillwell with the fucking yes. gloves. <laughs> yeah. Because the whole audience, the first time I Go! saw that cheer, yeah. they were like, yeah, fuck that fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember the Madonna song. This used to be my be playground. My playground. <laughs> this used to be my childhood <laughs> dream. Are you crying? Sorry. I'm no not crying, crying in baseball. No. There's no crying in baseball. Anyone tell me you look like you look like a little penis with that little hat on? <laughs> You're <laughs> out of here. <laughs> um, so I will say this: they did change a lot of character names intentionally um, to to craft the story a little bit more. Uh, one of the most obvious, of course, is Walter Harvey was a substitute for Philip K. Wrigley, of course, the chewing gum tycoon. Oh, okay. Harvey Park was, of course, a substitute for Wrigley Field. A number of other characters. Jimmy Dugan was based off of another baseball manager. Ira Lowenstein, uh, the the whiz kid who was trying to get the, the whole uh, league marketed, was based off of the Cubs assistant GM, Ken Sales. Uh, one of the big things, though, is that 
they crafted the story to sound like an underdog story, like girls couldn't cut it as professional baseball players. Mm. Truth of the matter is, in 1940s, women's baseball was actually very popular. And in, in regional leagues, uh, they would attract lots of crowds. And there's a great article on ESPN that talks about what they call real life with two E's versus real life. And they, they get really, really nitpicky. Like, they talk about how... Uh, the girl who's based on on the Kit character was actually a righty, but they made it sound like she was a lefty uh, in in the movie. Mm. Like they go specifically to how she would have batted against a pitch, so like super sports nerd kind of stuff. The girls were offered seventy five dollars a week, and, they, and this is I don't know why they mentioned this as a as a difference because the average AAGBBL players would have gotten between fifty to one hundred and twenty five dollars a week during that period. And- and I think that that's a testament to how important it is to change these stories in order for people to enjoy the movies. Because if you look at all the people behind that movie, all the people that star in that movie, uh, it, they're all very feminist. Yeah. And so don't you think that if, if they could, they would have made it the, the women in that look like less of underdogs, but sure. they felt like they had to in order for the story to work? And Absolutely. And there was a lot of detail that was brought into making it true, like the AAGBBL uh, logos were identical. The teams and uniforms were identical mm-hmm. to what they were like. Uh, the four teams, did there were the Rockford Peaches, the Racine Bells, the Kenosha Comets, and the South Bend Blue Sox. They were the actual teams. Like I said, uh, the color scheme was almost identical. Uh, one thing that was kind of a small deal, but apparently never actually took place. Do you guys remember the famous scene where uh, Madonna, during the tryouts, she slides uh, in headfirst? One woman who was interviewed said that in her entire career as the uh, as the baseball player for that league, she never saw a person ever ever slide headfirst. Because it would, for a woman, I would imagine that would be probably extremely painful too. Yeah, well, it's yeah. painful. Not everybody. only that, but one other, <laughs> um, two other important details. One was that they made the league feel like it was only going to play for, like, one year. And they said, well, we'll stick with it at the very, very end. Truth of the matter is, the, the league lasted for three or four years. It lasted from 1942. But did uh, they have the intention of having it right. last? I think that was the That idea. part I don't know if there was actually any any doubt. But because there was the popularity of women's baseball mm-hmm. already, I don't think there was ever any question about whether it was going to be Well, yeah, canceled. but, the, I mean, the thing is, is I, maybe them, you know, gaining the popularity was... Was it vastly popular immediately, right off the bat? And probably some people had to buy into it a little bit. Well, I mean, there's I no mean, male I'm baseball, saying it's probably so. like extremely like dramatized and heightened. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, one of the deals, and I'll just wrap up with this for League of Their Own and leave it to you guys for anything else you want to say. Um, is pretty much all the most of the games actually took place at night. Mm. For the I want to know one thing. Yeah. Was there really a uh, the character of Dottie and a sister that were on ended up on opposite yes. teams for their there there was there were characters who actually I think the Dottie Henson character and Kit uh, may actually have been based off of real people. Uh, they, those may be the, the exception to the rule. Well, you said the Kit character was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so I believe there were sisters who did end up getting traded. Uh, other thing is, unfortunately, no single woman from the AAGBBL was ever inducted to the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. They did, however, in 1988, uh, vote to have an exhibit for women in baseball, but that's all it was. Hmm. Oh, and that's all that was? That's all it was. Wow. Man, there was for this, no this whole time, I thought that was still in Cooperstown. Yeah. No, they... I mean... They, I mean it, it is, and it happened, but it was not an induction into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, what, what I mean, you that said sucks. it was just an exhibit, so there's not an. Is it still there? No, I think it was just. It was like like any museum. It's an exhibit, so it lasted. It was only temporary. God damn it! Who on that? Yeah. Uh, anyone who lives in Cooperstown or near Cooperstown can correct us in that. Please list. No. Yeah, I have some that I want to talk about as far as being actually relatively accurate, but we can save that for a little bit later. 
Milk, the movie about Harvey Milk, um, who, you know, is very famous in San Francisco for being a gay rights activist. And the first openly gay public official. Yes, absolutely. Um, For the most part, that movie was actually extremely accurate. The one thing that, and really only one person has actually kind of spoken out about this, and that's the Josh Brolin character of Dan White, the guy who actually, um, spoiler alert, assassinates Harvey Milk. And then kills himself two years later. And then kills himself. Basically, the way the movie portrays him as... Um, homophobic and possibly uh, closeted for his own, you know, homosexual desires. However, um, one of the people who was closest to him was um, one of his campaign leaders was actually gay and said that Dan White himself has never displayed any um, moments of being being homophobic and he actually, like, was very interested in um, getting opinions from gay people, and he actually sided with politics that were in favor of of you know homosexuals. So, so there was kind of that aspect. He basically so said then, he, he was troubled. Then was it more like a Mark David Chapman, John Lennon obsession kind of thing? No, no, no. He said that he was just an unstable man who became homicidal when Milk and Mayor Moscone betrayed him politically. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, I believe that was also when the Twinkie defense was developed because. That's what the defense lawyer used against him, and it mm-hmm. got him acquitted yeah. of the crimes. So, yeah, there there were some some very there's some interesting dichotomy, but really, it's only one person who's actually spoken out about that. Um, but it, you know, that's the thing, though, is is where do we find the accuracies? Is it in the facts or is it in portrayal? And you know, one of one of the movies I've seen relatively recently that I just absolutely adore is I'm Not There, which is a biopic about Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. But it's totally not like a timeline history type thing. It's a series of different vignettes. They all overlap. All these different actors are playing different... And actresses. And actresses, Kate Blanchett, um, most notably. Um, Who also received the Oscar nomination for that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Are basically playing different aspects of Bob Dylan's personality in very different scenarios that didn't necessarily happen in his life. And yet Bob Dylan has said that that's one of the most um, accurate representations of his life and his personas, plural. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a spiritual, and don't, uh, don't come take this the wrong way, there's like a spiritual truth yeah. to, to the essence of these people, and then there's the factual truth. I'll get Elizabethan for a second here. Richard III is mm. now more, scholarly is now a much more contested story. Uh, Shakespeare wrote that whole play under the guise of the Tudor dynasty, right? Like, he, he wrote it when Elizabeth I was at the throne. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they want to write a story that's favorable to her grandfather, Henry VII, who usurped the throne from Richard III by killing him. Uh, he's Richard III is depicted as a complete, an utter villain. But yet, Philippa Gregory, uh, who wrote The Other Villain Girl, as well as several other novels, makes an argument that actually that was part of a, a very elaborate smear campaign by the Tudors once they yeah. once they took the throne to completely uh, discredit Richard III. Mm-hmm. And there's actually no evidence wow. that he killed his nephews yeah. or killed his brothers to begin with. Right. I had no I had no idea. So you could use these stories and look at look at the real history and compare them to these stories and it can kind of give you a, like a mirror image of society at the time and what the what commonplace thoughts were about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is Absolutely. super cool. Well, and and that's one of my favorite parts about literature and about storytelling is it's extremely reflective of the cultural time. And there's um, a very specific uh, criticism theory 
called New Historicism that does that specifically, where you have to look at the political context, you have to look at the socioeconomic role of the author, and, you know, who was the intended audience at the time, and you have to look at all of that, and that lends itself to the story. When we look at these based on true story things, and the liberties that they take, you do have to look they're appealing to mostly an American audience. That's why the underdog story is so huge. Mm. Um, that's why they're making these alterations because they are specifically yeah. trying to play to their audience and trying to make what they consider, quote, a better story. Right. I, I'll be, make the bias here because we mentioned it in the Nerds in History podcast. Being that I'm in the cast of Les Miserables right now, Les Miserables in literature, and of course it's been made in films too, Victor Hugo based the entire story off of people and experiences that he himself witnessed, like he knew an ex-convict who tried to make give himself a redeemable reputation, and that was his basis for Jean Valjean. He himself witnessed the student rebellions, the, the June Rebellion. He like he heard loud noises, and he went to see what the problem was, and then he saw gunfire, and he had to duck for cover. He saw the whole gun battle take place right in front of his eyes. So there is always the context, and the, how much do you have to shape it to make the story palatable? And he also wrote Les Mis 20 years after the actual events of the story taking place. So he he did it that because he wanted to make it appropriate for people who like looking back on it and seeing what, what that time was like. And also knowing which side of history you're on. History's written by the winners. Well, so for the record, even the yeah, history that it's based on could be skewed. Yeah, he did it after Louis Philippe was deposed. Louis Philippe was the king of France at the time of the rebellion and of the, he was known for the July monarchy. This is Nerds on History. I, for a second, I apologize. Uh, we'll have, probably have to do a whole episode on Les Miserables and if you want to join that, yeah, please. Yeah. Of course you will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I do my research. so That's alright. Uh, I'm sorry. That was a tangent. Moving That's back okay. to film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what I think is also really kind of fun is that there are a lot of movies that bring up stories that you would not have ever heard of unless you were related to the person or whatever. So, honestly, not that many people knew about the Argo situation. Yeah. Um, or Fargo, for that matter. Or Fargo. <laughs> um, and then there's also, like, the Rudy story. You know, people aren't going to... Blindside. Those are a lot of ones that people aren't necessarily going to do. Um, for me, The Informant and I Love You, Philip Morris. Those are two stories that would not have ever paid... At- I would never have heard those stories or paid attention to it if it wasn't for the movies being made. Yeah. Or without cracked.com because they <laughs> point out a lot of these random stories too. <laughs> in the in the case of Rudy, I know exactly how that story got made, and it's interesting. Uh, the real Rudy spent almost a decade beating that idea over the heads of people in movie studios in Hollywood until someone gave in. Like he felt that his story was so important that he had to get it out there. And of course, it's way skewed, and it's a lot of things are wrong with it. We don't have to get into every detail because we'd be here the entire episode. <laughs> but it, so you got to look at the motivations of where it came from too. When you're talking about why we would have never heard these stories, or how we'd have never heard these. For, in this case, it seems that just somebody was a real big fan of himself and needed the story out there. With the inform, do you know what the story behind the informant was? How that became a movie? Um, so the informant is about a guy named Mark Whitaker who basically was a whistleblower on a very major um, price-fixing conspiracy um, that happened in the 90s. And um, he himself was, like, battling, like, bipolar disorder issues um, while he was, you know, trying to play the informant. But at the same time, he was also one of the people who was totally in on the deal. And it was uh, for lysine, which is, I don't know. It's in corn syrup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's kind of random. Um, I wasn't able to find any information about how it got made, um, 
except for it was a nonfiction book. So somebody wrote a book about it. And that's I think that's kind of the the bigger thing that it happens for a lot of things. I think that was um, what happened with the I Love You, Philip Morris, which holy shit, if you have not seen that movie, go yeah, out and fucking yeah, watch it definitely. like right now. Yeah. It is hands down one of the best performances by Jim Carrey ever. Um, and what makes that story so compelling, aside from the fact that it's about this, you know, gay guy who falls in love with one of his you know, fellow inmates, but he also like breaks out of jail several times <laughs> just to go back and be with him because he's like this crazy, awesome con man. Um, and, and, and I find it just very, very interesting. It's such a really, really good story. And I, that one was also based on a book. So, um, it's just, it's, there's all, so many fascinating stories out there that, you know, really do have the potential for being a rad movie. Well, since Americans love to have these stories about their heroes, let's take a second and talk about one of, if not the most honored hero in American history, which is Abraham Lincoln. Oh, uh, shit. I thought you were going to say Bruce Campbell. <laughs> There's a movie about Bruce Campbell? I know he's written several autobiographies. I've read it's a couple. Called, oh, God. I love, yeah. Can, if uh, Chins Could Kill. Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. I have mm-hmm. that book autographed. Can, 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 can we call him? And, uh, and the inside cover, it says, Shop Smart and Stay Groovy. There is, there is a, there is a uh, actually a picture of Sean with Bruce Campbell from circa 2001. You whore. Oh, yeah. Um, I won't yeah, claw your came, eyes out right oh, now. We don't need to go on a Bruce Campbell tangent. <laughs> I, though, I, I will say that if they ever make a biopic about him, they should call it Army of Bruceness. Army uh, of Bruceness. <laughs> I'd like to enlist <laughs> the Army of Bruceness. Um, so let's talk about the most recent, because there's been tons of movies made about Abraham Lincoln. But let's talk about Lincoln, the one that won Daniel Day-Lewis the Oscar and uh, Tony Kushner, I think, the Academy Award, didn't it? Uh, for No, just Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel unfortunately. Day-Lewis, okay. So l- looking at the historical context, right, it was obviously written as a parallel. Uh, Kushner is an openly gay man. And he wrote, I think, to show the parallels of what was struggling through the gang of the 13th Amendment past versus what's the struggle for their marriage equality in the United States. And there's, there is a lot of parallels to it. So that's kind of his, was his slant toward it. That being said, uh, there was lots of accuracies and lots of inaccuracies. Um, one I mentioned in an earlier episode was that the First Lady was not ever called the First Lady. She was called Madam President at that point, and Sally Field references that in one scene. But the, basically, the LA Times in uh, late last year interviewed James McPherson, who is a Lincoln biographer, and he basically breaks down about six major inaccuracies with the movie. One is that Lincoln rarely, if ever, used profanity, and in the film, he do hear him say "damn" and "goddamn" a few times. Lincoln mostly saw visitors in the White House during office hours, so there's no documented evidence of him visiting the soldiers at Gettysburg, other than the Gettysburg Address. Like, there's no evidence of him just going and talking to soldiers huh. afterwards. A lot of dramatic license was taken with the character of W.N. Bilbo, who is the uh, lobbyist played by James Spader. To, uh, uh, probably one of the best characters in the movie, yeah. though. <laughs> it, it was a comic relief, basically. Um, it was a lot of license taken with how he got the votes from the Democrats. Though there is evidence that Secretary of State Seward um, did use a lot of his connections with New York politicians to um, gain influence. Lincoln never slapped his son Robert, which is the famous scene about them arguing about whether he should enlist. How do we know that, though? Yeah, how do we know that? How do we know a father didn't slap his there's son? No, there's Given no the do- time, I bet you he slapped the shit out of him more than once. <laughs> Lincoln was not a violent person. So. Yeah, uh, which is what we're led to believe, but nobody was there when he was just at home with his family, and one of his kids like took one of his tools and broke it. 
Here's here are two more facts. And Lincoln was drinking a bunch of whiskey. Here's one. And it was whittling and he logs. Cocks back and just uh, clocks his son in the face <laughs> with a tire iron. Did they have tire irons back oh then? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Tires, That's, this is my childhood that I'm talking. About. <laughs> dad, I love you. That's a joke. <laughs> Why does the guy be dad? Why wasn't it mom? Because mom used a taser, Brian. We both know that. <laughs> That's true. It's so true. I still have the burn marks. There's no historical evidence that Thaddeus Stevens, who was the character played by Tommy Lee Jones, had an affair with his housekeeper. However, it was a very hotly rumored issue at the time. And more importantly, uh, I actually would have loved to see this. The movie leaves out the fact that Lincoln was friends with abolitionist Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass actually came and visited him at the White House. Hmm. Frederick Douglass was in the movie for what, like five seconds? I don't think he was in the movie, period. Was he not? No. No, I don't no, think No, God, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of glory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blending I mean, together in my head. That's like a, I mean, two major historical figures being friends with one another. And by the way, Frederick Douglass ran for vice president, too, under uh, a whole other party, a third party, uh, in I think the 1968 election. So very, very, uh, very, very interesting character. And the fact they kind of omitted him from the story. Um, seems kind of weird. Maybe because yeah. it didn't give him enough focus or whatever it is, but yeah, just... Well, the movie Lincoln uh, is based off of a historical novel about like Lincoln's life, but this movie only takes what, I think it was said something like less than ten chapters out of this book, so maybe in the book that it's based off of, there's a lot about Frederick Douglass uh, that maybe that's where you're getting your information from as well. Possibly. Sean, you were it seems like a, it seems like a lot of these movies were based on books that are so it's like so these books are already semi inaccurate, but it it almost seems lazy on the part of the screenwriters going like, well, let's get some ideas, let's go to a book, do the story's well, already there. Mm, to a certain extent, maybe you know, actually, so going back to the Social Network just for a second, because um, Aaron Sorkin wrote that screenplay, which you know is a book too, but. Um, Accidental Billionaires, by the way, is a phenomenal book. Yeah. Um, I read it, and there was while I was reading it. Sorry, small tangent. Um, I got to meet uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, and he autographed it for me. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people in that movie do have problems with their with how they were portrayed and and things like that. Um, you know, Facebook wasn't invented to get girls. You know, that kind of thing. And you know, he wasn't. Zuckerberg was not out partying like a crazy person. You know. Um, he was, you know, according to him, he was inside coding a lot. Um, but Sorkin basically said, and I'm pulling this quote off of Wikipedia, but it's cited, so it's legit. He says, I don't want my fidelity to be to the truth. I want it to be to storytelling. What's the big deal about accuracy purely for accuracy's sake? And can we not have the true be the enemy of the good? Damn, this deep. brings up something I think that is 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 the verbiage of saying based on a true story. And we've heard different ones. We're based on a true story. Some people flat out go, this is a true story. Or some people say based on true events. Inspired or even a couple by a movies true story. Have, yeah, inspired by a true story. So do you think Very there should be some level of real events? Do you think there should be some higher level of candor with the studios? Like and there should be like we, we have to say for all these movies, inspired by true events. There should of be, like, many asides by the writers where they come in, like, there's, like, a moment where, like, a thing that's historically inaccurate happens, and then a little, like, exclamation point happens, <laughs> and then the guy says, oh, I'm sorry, in real life, derp 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 <laughs> Just, like, cut up the movie that way. Well, or if you're like me, and you're watching these movies at home, 
and you know you're just at the same time you're also on the internet so i'm usually like i think we all do that i'm yeah. fact checked yeah. all the way through well, like while i'm watching the it. other fact oid here is that you know, writers may have actually... We don't know too much about the development of, of page to screen because, you know, writers can write one script and then the director gets attached to the project and film is very much a director's medium. Yeah. The director will re-sculpt the story to whoever they feel makes the story more engaging. And then they bring on their own writers. Tim Burton is notorious for this. He has writers that he brings on for almost every project he works on to do rewrites. Um, Spielberg... And Scorsese, all the great filmmakers have their own method of storytelling, right? And a good example of that is Cape Fear. Cape Fear has no historical basis. It was not based on anything real. But the script that Scorsese had gotten, he didn't like very much. And it was because it was written for Steven Spielberg to direct. Really? And he took it and he said, well, well maybe, maybe he could change it. So he went to the writer and he gave him some notes. And basically said, look, I think if this were Steven's film, he would have done this beautifully. But this is not my style. So I like, I like to do things a little differently. Hmm. And I can't possibly imagine Steven Spielberg's version of that movie after seeing Scorsese's version. Right. Especially with the fact that Scorsese kept the entire original score from the movie, from the 1960s movie, and just updated it. Really? Uh, yeah, he did. For, exact, for the, exactly that reason, because he thought the score was perfect as it was. It's so haunting. It's a great score. And, and the fact that it's that old really drives home some of the creepy b- yeah. moments. He just had an orchestra replay the, the sound so it sounded better. But um, I know that has nothing to do with based on true stories, but I think the fact that directors can influence so heavily how a film gets made right. uh, from its basic principles, I mean, probably has something to do with a lot, how a lot of these films deviated from the original content as well. Particularly with the the uh, Co- the Coen brothers, and now awkward silence. <laughs> uh, Apollo thirteen, everybody. <laughs> Apollo thirteen. <laughs> so, do you guys know what the famous movie quote from that is? Houston, we, Houston, have, a we have a problem, and it is wrong. Yep, it's factually inaccurate. It, it actually, actually was this. Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> That's it. Uh, it was actually Houston. We've had a problem. It was verb oh, conjugation. Oh, shit, Brian. Oh, oh well, fucking yeah. stop the presses. I'm going to go burn my Blu-ray that I have in the fireplace because that's so horribly this inaccurate. This is the only thing Eric had to contribute to this episode. I'm speaking <laughs> as his proxy. So, but um, uh, actually, Ron Howard did a good job getting most of the, the details accurate. Though there's a couple things they had to fudge, again, for the sake of drama, right? So, um, Ken Mattingly did not watch the launch from his Corvette near the launch pad because NASA protocol uh, forbade anybody yeah. from being within three miles of the launch pad uh, and mission control. Uh, so, sorry, Kevin Bacon. Uh, he, <laughs> he also uh, did not use trial and error to help figure out how to get the, the astronauts home. I think when you're a trained engineer, you have a little well, more resources than well, that. But, but, but you see, here's the thing, and this is a, this movie is a huge staple of my childhood, and Eric and I have had dozens of conversations about this, but the most significant thing to know about the Apollo program was that a lot of it was guesswork, is that uh, what going up into space, operating the machinery was all done to a science, well, but there was only so much that they knew, and so a lot of this had to be guesswork, and it's shocking to me sure. because... This is this is several yeah. millions and millions of dollars on the line, not to mention multiple lives. So fair enough. I buy that up to them to Apollo Eleven, where they actually made it to the moon. Once they actually figured out how to do it, then it was a matter of re-executing and, and perfecting. No, no, I think that's. I, I think there's no basis in that. Just yeah, but the, what happened? What happened to Apollo Thirteen? No one knew. No one knew that that was coming, and they weren't right. prepared for that. 
That's like well, they probably were mildly prepared for that. But so let me continue. Like, there was a lot of unique things that happened. Like it, right. the, the fact that it was the oxygen. They they were running let, low on oxygen. That wasn't supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah. So continuing forward with with this along this this stream of stream stream of thought. This of arcing thought. rope of thought. Fine, whatever. <laughs> so there was also very little t- tension between John Swigert and the, the other crew members. No record exists that accounts that for the lack of the faith the crew had in Swigert's ability to do his job. So I believe Swigert was the character played by Ed. Kevin Bacon. Or was oh that was it? No, I thought Jackson. Mattingly was Ken Kevin Bacon. I might be mixing that up then. Okay, okay I thought Swigert was um, Ed Harris's. Mm. No, 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 no. That's no. Gene Kranz. Come on. Oh, okay, sorry. Get it right. I'm sorry. I haven't seen the movie in a while. Forgive me. Okay. Then uh, another one is, and this is by the way, is quoting the U.S. History and Film blog. Uh, all these. The, the, for the There's Apollo an actual 13. blog for for basically it's called histori- History and Film. for historical accuracy in film. That's awesome. Yeah, for I love US that that stuff. A man named Ed Smiley invent- was the inventor of lithium of the lithium hydroxide adapter. Uh, the film inaccurately depicts the team of engineers who fumbled with a table full of materials to come up with the solution for the CO2 problem. So the engineers didn't fumble through it. They actually knew how to, the device existed. <sighs> well, that's and a they bummer. Ex- yeah, sorry, Only man. because the fact that duct tape saved astronaut lives in space that gave me hope that duct tape can fix everything <laughs> um which, yeah which is why fathers across america use duct tape for everything <laughs> so you know the scene when yeah. your kid's arm superior. falls off duct tape it back on so you know the scene where they have to manually aim uh the ship at uh yes yeah at the earth yeah and in fact they actually control burn. Is, and yeah at, in fact the matter is they actually aimed at the sun in reality at the sun yeah Interesting. At the sun? <laughs> They're like, fuck the this shit. Sun? We're going out with a bang. <laughs> oh, shit, son. <laughs> Never mind the fact that they probably would have died before they even got there. Uh, Apollo so. 14, aw, oh, shit, son. True, <laughs> true story. <laughs> Apollo 14 was the uh, the undocumented. Was that that was the, the alien? Is that the one? Was, oh, was that Apollo 18? Apollo 18, the undocumented trip. Like aliens <laughs> on the moon, yeah. apparently. Did you guys see that movie? I didn't no. even see it. I did. The found footage version of it, basically. Yeah. I How did. horrible was it? It was really, really bad. I saw. Was it watching like a really shitty space version of the Blair Witch Project? Yeah, pretty much. I saw that on a second date with somebody. It was Ugh. super awkward on multiple levels. Second dates are just supposed to be bottles of wine and hand jobs, as far as I know. <laughs> As far there as there was give no them, wine, <laughs> in my and I'm talking about me giving people hand jobs. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so Sean, do you have so, any others that that you find are particularly notable? Particularly notable. Um, let's look right here. This is one. This is crazy. I read about this, but I'd never seen this movie. But how different it was shocked me. There's a movie uh, made in the 80s called Victory, a.k.a. Escape to Victory. Have you ever heard of this movie? I have not. No. I've actually okay. seen the poster for this. It's fucking awesome. It has yeah. uh, Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone like pumping their fists in opposite directions making yes. a V. It's oh. so, yeah, the movie. The movie is about a soccer team, and the movie stars Pele himself... Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone. No shit. I'm yeah, it's about it's about an it's a, it's it's set during World War II, and it's about an Allied Forces POW camp soccer team, a soccer team that was made that was supposed to play the Nazis, and uh, <laughs> and of course they're supposed to win. And I, I guess apparently in the movie at halftime they have a chance to escape, but then they're like, no, guys, if we win, we'll get respect, which is more important than freedom, which is one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Then when they win, they they disappear in the fray of everybody ju- like cheering and getting on the field. Then they escape. But in real life, there was no Allied Forces team. The story's based on a Ukrainian team that was forced to play 
the uh, Nazi team that they had thrown together while the Nazis were occupying the Ukraine. And uh, the really messed up thing is, is uh, they beat the living crap out of the Nazis more than once, including one where they won 8-0. to zero. And afterwards, the Gestapo found a way to arrest and torture most of the members of the team and killed a couple of them. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, they don't tell you that in the movie because in 80s movies, it was all about... Vict- it reminds me of Rocky IV and Rocky <laughs> solving the Cold War with... If I can change, and you can change, then we all can change. Oh, geez. That was the one. That was one that I thought I had to talk about, even though I'd never seen it, and I'm sure picture. none of our listeners have seen it. You know what? Just because you had mentioned this, Sean, I'm going to actively look for it because I, I want to see this. Because the poster is yeah, the really po- dope, but I wonder the how. The poster's outstanding. Yeah, it is so good. I actually I have one movie that I wanted to share. Um, Ooh, another chime in. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm having fun listening. Um, this is another Oscar winner. Uh, it's called A Beautiful Mind that stars uh, Russell Crowe. Yes. Ah, yes. yes. There are plenty of inaccuracies yes. in that one. Um, firstly, that uh, John Nash uh, is a borderline uh, anti-Semitic, and he actually uh, had uh, he at the end of the movie. Um, he gives like this amazing, very passionate speech to his wife in the audience. You know, years and years later, sure enough, when he got the peace prize, he didn't give no speech because they were afraid he was going to say some anti-Semitic comments. And oh. he, they actually <laughs> were divorced at that point too. He and his wife. Oh no, they were divorced uh, six years after they got married. So they were long divorced at that point. Yeah. Wow. Um, another thing was that uh, this. It bums me out that it's uh, this wild of an inaccuracy, but I still fucking love the movie. All of the people that he sees in the movie don't exist. His issue actually was hearing voices instead of seeing people, Mm. which takes a lot of what happens in the movie completely out. Like, a lot of the character motivation and everything, if they had played it to a historical accuracy... It, there, it would have not made any sense. To be fair, yeah, there are he both symptoms of schizophrenia. Yeah. If he was just hearing voices, we wouldn't have been there with him. If he had visions, if it was something that was real for him, if he was just hearing voices, we'd have been like, hey, buddy, who the fuck do you think is talking to you? Like, just recognize that that shit's not really happening and try your best to ignore it. Yeah, right. plus, you know, Paul Bettany. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that how he, um, you know, takes medication for years and years on mm-hmm. end. Sure enough, no. No, he 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 did not. He very rarely took me- a medication, unfortunately, because it's, he didn't want it. He didn't like it himself while he was under medication. And he just said, screw it. Yeah. So go figure on that. That was it. I, I wanted to toss it in there because we also talked about Argo, which was another Best Picture. Yeah, yeah, win, so. absolutely. Yeah, and and you know what is that? That also the based on the true story type things. A lot of those do go on to. They're always like big grand scale movies, and a lot of them do go on to being Oscar nominated. Yeah. So what is that? I think it's just it's the story. Again, the story it's, is it's that the appeal good. that yeah. it actually happened. Yeah, There's like the in the case that- of Fargo. It's obvious that saying that means something and really drives the movie's point home more so than it would if you just said, here's our movie. Oh, sure. Yes. Oh, oh, I have something topical uh, because I think all of us have actually seen it. Uh, the Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I have not seen it. I got uh, mad won't. notes yeah. on The Conjuring. You yo. don't like yeah. scary movies. Oh, all right. So then, Sean, I'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle in and then you just lather in the, the stuff that you got because I got to cool. tell you. I saw this movie, and I hate modern scary movies because they're full of shit. They're terrible. It's all about in-your-face rather than playing on the subtleties of you know sound effects and letting the audience imagination run wild. I love that, and that's what The Conjuring did so well. And so I actually, after I saw the movie, by the way, 
Um. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking heard that on Skype. (laughs) I freaked out. Screaming and I defecated. No double class. There's a specific rhythm you don't do around me. Okay. It's so flipping scary. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, I loved the marketing campaign surrounding this. Like the story has never been told before, and the family has come forward to share this story. The Conjuring. There was like a very like. Um, 1980s grindhouse trailer for this movie that interspliced footage of like the family as of now talking about the experience and then showing footage of the movie and I was just like oh this looks sweet and I, I was gonna give it a shot and sure enough I saw it with a packed house audience ate up every single scary moment it was just great um, however after the movie came out uh, I believe the family is now actually actively uh, pursuing litigation because supposedly there there's some inaccuracies uh, and uh, that they're not a fan of. However, the main reason they're uh, going for litigation is now people are swarming them, just invading their privacy and yeah. uh, trying to visit the home, and they have no peace now because of that movie. But they, well, they don't live in that house happen? anymore, Kevin. Right, no, I know, no, no, but, but people are trying to visit the property as well. But what yeah, do you think proper- was going to happen if you sign off on that? I know, I know, but it's just... it's. Uh, I, that, this is one of those things, like, I... I mean, not like anybody would make a movie about my life anyway, but I would never want anybody to because, first of all, I'm not sure any actress is talented enough to capture this (laughs) happening right here. (laughs) Second of all, like, seriously, it is a huge invasion, and all of a sudden I'm going to have all these extra people who are interested in my life, and I don't know how comfortable I am with that. Mm. All right, Sean, what do you got? Yeah, so The Conjuring, um, I, I went and did some research on it, and so as far as I know, here's what we know for sure. Everybody that's lived in that house has had some sort of paranormal activity happen, according to their accounts. So, they have exaggerated a lot of stuff in the movie, I'm sure. I'm sure that um, parts of the possession, and I know that they messed around with the story of the witch that is like the main ghost that is haunting the house. Mm. In order to market this movie, and this is another thing that makes me go, really? You you put your faces on on videos to promote the movie and you're worried that people are coming after you? They did some videos, one that was called House of Darkness, House of Light, that was used as as the second trailer for the movie, which was interviews with a couple of members of the family. I think that's one I saw, yeah. Yeah, and it's very vague. They're very vague about what they say happens in the house so that you don't really jump to any conclusions. The one thing that, that disturbed me about whether or not this was based on true events or not is that the, the, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, the, the two paranormal investigators who are famous for being paranormal investigators, have supported a lot of BS stories in the past. They were two people that backed up the book Amityville Horror and the movie Amityville Horror that was supposed to be a true story. And uh, uh, 20 or so years after that movie was made, um, the, the family, the Lutzes, who that happened to, admitted that with a friend of theirs they they drank a bunch of wine and came up with that story and so it was totally inaccurate meaning that ed and lorraine warren who visited the house and tried to corroborate that there was some sort of paranormal activity there in that case obviously just did it for publicity because these people have admitted that that was total bullshit so it makes me think that maybe this story is also total bullshit Mm. Mm, interesting bummer yeah although we can't get past the fact that every family that's lived in that house who have nothing to do with each other besides living in the same house have all reported some sort of paranormal activity. Yeah, are there any accounts of of a witch actually vomiting blood into somebody's (laughs) mouth? Because that was horrendous. Yeah. 
That um, was horrendous. I loved how they did. They barely showed her until she would come out from off screen, and they just yeah. showed half her face because yeah. what, in my ima- what Ooh. in my imagination was happening was way worse than what they were showing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, movie. I, I honestly, I got out of that movie and and had to get shit out of my pants. And I went and told everybody, I was like, I fucking am desensitized completely to movies. The last movie that scared me was The Exorcist when I was twelve, and I was in Catholic school, so I saw all that, thought all that shit was real. And <laughs> this movie has scared the shit out of me same it it, i was quite literally screaming in the theater it was and oddly enough none of the true story part of it is what scared me no not at all (laughs) just the filmmaking and how excellently and like kevin was saying before how they went old school and they use sound effects and they use it, making the audience feel uncomfortable rather than some slasher movie where they throw more in your yeah, face. Simple sled or hand. fucking Paranormal Activity and other found footage garbage movies that I fucking uh, hate. You know I, what? Paranormal Activity scared the poo out of me, too. Believe uh, Paranormal I, I, Activity was fucking like watching Big Brother After Dark if yeah, it was on I'll agree with you sci-fi on that show. channel. You know, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think Hitchcock was one who nailed it. That whatever your mind imagines is far more terrifying than any yeah. s- any image you can put on screen. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially if it's in Sean's mind. I don't even want to go in there. <laughs> oh, God. Don't Batman, you know, it's all it clowns is. and babies on spikes and shit like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. Imagine Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. His, his, not his dream journal, but his nightmare journal. And that's what I use as inspiration to go <laughs> even further. <laughs> wow. Wow, Sean. Oh, wow. Sean. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> You're fantastic. <laughs> so what what are we trying to say here, guys? What are we trying to say about movies based on a true story? Because I've got some, s- a point that I wanted to get across. I think we're trying. I think, audience. I think the point we're trying to get in is if you go and see this. Really, you shouldn't have the expectation that it's a biography. You're looking at. You're really looking at a story that used real life people to inspire. A, a very, good story. A, a good story, but the one that we're more than likely dramatic license has been taken, obviously to various and varying degrees. Here's the point. If you are going to see a movie that's 100% factual, you're seeing a documentary with actors at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people argue about documentaries, and that's a whole yeah. other debate. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we could do about has... documentaries. We, I have a. Yeah. This made me think of an entire episode we could do about documentaries. And you're right. There are Kevin. documentaries <laughs> where the, the facts are sculpted very much to skew the the argument that they're making. Uh, Michael Moore. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's coming from a exactly. liberal. So you know what? The only I will believe a wholeheartedly a Michael Moore movie that's about sandwiches because then I know <laughs> that the motivation is clear. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Well, well done. Oh, that fuck. And, and so the thing is, then <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what I think we can get out of these movies, though, is one a really good story because if it's good enough to get turned into a movie, then you know it's got to appeal to somebody. But also, I think if you're gonna get either some facts out of it or maybe some general interest into a person's life or into a certain situation, then that's awesome. But you have to do the thing that we, you know, you guys say all the time, all the time on Nerds on History. Go out and find the facts for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't ta- take the word, the yeah, word for it. Create yeah. a dialogue. And then also another fascinating thing, and this is my favorite part, is to get some sort of clue into who that person was and their personality. Um, you know, an actor's maybe not necessarily going to capture all of it, but especially if it's you know somebody who's still currently alive, or there's enough to draw upon where you can be as accurate as possible. That's always really fascinating to me. 
I don't know. There's just there's just a lot of really cool stuff about that, I guess. Yeah. See, uh, for me, um, I, I don't talk about it a lot, but I, I enjoy nostalgia. I, I love looking back at, and looking back on history and just random things, whether it had to do with my life or not. And I think uh, as an audience, uh, people are uh, not necessarily obsessed with nostalgia like I am, but I think it's that idea that this has happened before and I want to reminisce about a time whether I was alive or not or whether I'm just interested in that period, that type of thing. For me, hey, if it happened, it happened. Great. I'm interested in hearing about why it happened or how it happened. Yeah, and uh, we've spent this whole podcast really picking apart all these movies and, and talking about how they're not really based on true stories and how a lot of it's just inspiration but the point I wanted to get across to everybody with all of this is that with so many of these stories behind such great films and even books and TV shows turning out to be either barely true or not true in the slightest, based on a true story seems to mean absolutely nothing. But I think it means more than that. And if you really think about it, I'm going to go existential here for a second. All art is is written by people and people are the sum total of their experiences so their life experiences and experiencing other people's life experiences go into these stories and as long as we just accept them as stories which if you look at the definition of story the main part of it is that it, it could be true events or it could be created events but it's for the sole purpose of entertainment that's in the definition so as long as we accept that it's for entertainment and don't take it at face value i think it'll help the people who are upset that these movies aren't based on real true stories enjoy them as just stories and maybe inspire them to do what we do and sit there with your ipad while you're watching a movie and go no that's not true well that's not true nope that shirt was a different color and you know yeah. and that is very interesting because also in, in social network um what they were saying uh what zuckerberg was saying about that also is that it's very interesting to see what filmmakers will focus on for being completely accurate um, like he said, that all the shirts in, in the movie were all shirts that he owned. Like, those were all Whoa. of his shirts. And so they were really accurate about that. And and you, you hmm. find that a lot in costuming details and things like that. But when it comes to the yeah, actual like people, plot line, that's where they take the liberties. Well, yeah, because with production design and any facet of it, you the more details you can, you can add to it, the more believable mm-hmm. it feels. And the trouble is when you're doing that with people who really exist or existed, it becomes much easier to take on. So now it's time, though, for corrections and feedback. Corrections and feedback, yeah! So first of all, we initiated in our more elaborate social media initiative now to if to do trivia. And if you got the trivia questions correct, you got to get a shout-out read on the radio. We'll get to those in a second. Uh, Kevin, you have a piece of feedback. For the first time ever, someone out there cares. Um, <laughs> I got a piece of listener feedback from actually one of my friends, Jessica. She writes, Hi, my name is Jessica. I am a friend of Kevin and acquaintance of Brian's. I started listening to your podcast for the Pixar portions and have continued listening since. I was telling Kevin that someone sounds very much like Justin Long, and it turns out to be you, Brian. Um, I've talked to Brian several times but never heard it. Now I cannot unhear it. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm a huge Pixar Disney fan and love movies. Thanks for this wonderful podcast. You're Brian welcome. and Justin Long do have one thing in common. They're both long. <laughs> I've seen it. We used to shower together. I used to trip on that thing. <laughs> and how recently was that? This was yeah, this was when we were like five and then like last week. <laughs> hey, we were trying to save water. We're going green, everybody. Uh, so what's the thing that we have to read? I'm trying to find it and for some reason it's getting lost to me. 
we, we had a few winners. Bro. We had we had the Stephanie and Dan for sure. Stephanie. Oh shit! And what did what did Dan put on there? <laughs> His question for us, we have to answer on the air. Says, I want Sean Moriarty to explain to the world why, at one point in his life, the movie Sin City was his favorite film of all time. I mocked him endlessly for this choice. Please have him explain why, for example, it would be ranked above such nerd classics as Clerks, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Godfather, The Apocalypse Now, etc., etc. You know, actually, for a brief moment in time, Sin City was my favorite movie, too. Yeah, honestly, it from when did it come out in two thousand four? Mm-hmm. All right, in two thousand four, I was what twenty one. So I was, you know, everybody when they turn twenty one becomes an instant alcoholic for at least a year. <laughs> so I was heavy drinking. I was a little bit more of a how do I say this politely a rough character back then, and the uh, the unspeakable acts of violence and how exaggerated there they were in that movie. It was like a release for me at the time, and watching it made me helped me get out my rage that I had against the world and what was going on in my life. So that's why, for the span of maybe one or two years, I had it ranked up there as my favorite movie. To this day, though, my favorite movies haven't changed really. It's it's all it's like Back to the Future, Jaws, Ghostbusters, and Clerks. Like those ones were the ones that changed my life, and that's how I've always felt. And then movies. When they've come out for a year or two, I've been my favorite. Like, honestly, when I saw The Avengers, that was my favorite movie for at least a few months. Like, when you see a great movie, it's your favorite movie at that point in time for a little while. Depending on how great the movie is, it sticks with you longer. Like, Ghostbusters will be with me forever. Jaws will be with me forever. Dan, there you go. Thank you. Now you know. Can I talk about why it was my favorite movie temporarily? Yeah, Sarah, tell me. Sure. Honestly heavily stylized movies and at the time i was seriously addicted to just super heavily stylized movies and that one kind of wowed me and you know clive owen so there's that too (laughs) and it was really i really dug the film noir thing uh and then for me um i saw it on a quasi date turned out not to be uh, according to her anyway um (laughs) friend zoned you got friend zoned during sin city that's fucked up uh i will say uh, i this is i don't understand why this makes it my favorite movie uh, one of my favorite movies um the fact that bruce willis goes in and rips a guy's junk off that was probably like that was pretty bad he blew it he blew it off with a big pistol no he did it a second time he blew it off with the pistol the second time the first time oh that's right no 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 no, no. he blows it off the first time and rips it off the second time time. yeah that's right that's right uh for me it was never a favorite i i enjoyed the film but it was never one of my favorite films I cannot wait for Sin City 2. Yeah, I can't either. Made. You know what's no, really it's, funny? It's already is... made. They're just going through the post and everything. It's coming out Didn't in... Didn't they cast Brittany Murphy's character because she died? No, I think they cast her... Like, their character's gone. But it's They've coming out in February They've been making February, that March. movie for a long-ass time, though. It, like, Deborah Messing was supposed to be in it, like, many years ago. Yeah. We have one more from Stephanie. Hey, guys, I kind of feel cheated winning this. I had literally just finished listening to the podcast when I saw the post... And was uh, dead shuffed when I was the first to answer. So I think this was from the throwback Thursday we did uh, a week before. Mm-hmm. Even though I did shudder writing it. Here is the photo, as promised, however. Being in the dark ages, I don't have a scanner. We'll be getting one someday, but need money for that kind of malarkey. So I can't <laughs> sign it. So ye can sign it for me with a smiley face or something. With regards to what you should say, I'm drawing a blank here. So I don't know. Either happy belated birthday to my boyfriend, Owen, whose birthday it is today. This was as far back as August 8th. Or, well, just say something on the podcast you've always wanted to say, but uh, feel like you couldn't really. Nothing too nasty. 
Mind you, though, I, Stephanie, are, are you sure you're listening to the right podcast? Yeah. <laughs> because we've gone as far as I think we can go without being taken off the <laughs> Her picture of her being uh, manhandled by a uh, grizzly bear is... Uh, I think molesturbated <laughs> is the right word to use there. <laughs> molesturbated? Pretty, pretty <laughs> hilarious. And I think we actually need to post that on, no, on so, the Nerds on Film page. So what the deal is, is if you um, answer correctly and you give us some feedback, you send in your picture or whatever, we will uh, have it um, up in the Nerd Cave forever. Forevers and evers. So we're going to have a wall of awesome fans who listen to us. So There you go. Does anybody have anything they have wanted to say on the podcast and let the world know that they haven't yet? Oh, Oh wow! That's uh, kind of that's really intense. Well, I mean, first I of all, happy something. belated birthday, Owen! Congratulations! Yeah, Owen, happy on being, birthday! Congratulations on being one year older. You're still alive. Keep up the good work. That's awesome. <laughs> Drive fast. Take chances. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that we've always wanted. I got to something say. I've always wanted to say. Go for it. I've always okay. This coming from a Catholic background, Brian and I. You've heard it on Nerds on History and occasionally on Nerds on Film. There's one thing that was never addressed in the Gospels, and I'd like to start an open conversation with everybody. How come nobody talks about how great the hand jobs Jesus gave after he was resurrected were? Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Foot jobs and rib rib jobs are also yeah. Rip job. <laughs> rib jobs. I gotta. Yeah, rib jobs. You never thought about. Because when I was in Catholic show looking at that crucifix, pleasure. I was like, I could get right in between those ribs right there. That slit right there looks just Sean, like a. I a have gash. only one. I have. I have only one response to that. God told me to. Oh my God, Brian! Don't you ever bring that fucking movie up again. It's sitting on my DVD shelf right now, and I still haven't watched it since the first Alien time we watched Jesus it. Jesus is possessing people's minds, telling him to commit unspeakable acts of murder. And you find and at one point that this detective, Jesus, where his wound is for his, is literally a makeshift alien vagina. It's an oh alien God. vagina. Child. Can I see this movie? Yeah, I want to watch this movie. Yeah. God told me to. And it's it fucking Andy horrendously for like five awesome. Oh my god, I'm yeah. so excited about this movie. And yeah. Is it shaved? And <laughs> it's all about this weird thing where this this cop who is a lapsed Catholic is having all these questions of faith and he finds out it's this person and he ends up killing the alien, committing an act of murder, and then when he's on trial, he says, what'd you do it? And he ends with, God told me to. Oh my god! Yeah, so it becomes this whole cyclical. Spoiler! It's one of those movies oh, that I just was looking through Tower Records, going through trying to find a random movie, and the messed up cover and name alone just I was like, I'm buying it. You're like, yes, please. All right. Yeah, that's how I found Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter too. Nice. <laughs> All right. That movie's a classic. Kevin, do you have anything that you want to say on the podcast? You've never. Vagina boob. Vagina boob. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I put it all out there whenever I record, so I got nothing I haven't said that I oh, have Yes, Brian. you do, so put your pants back on. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap that... <laughs> no, no, no. I Kevin's like, the... can't even do it. Can't even do it. No, can't do it. <laughs> do we okay. have any other list? Do we have any other listener feedback? No, sir. Okay. Where wait, oh, wait, unless Sarah, sorry, did you have something to say? I didn't see you. I'm just saying like a totally random thing that I don't even know why I thought about it right now, but I don't I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but um, Ernest Scared Stupid actually scared the shit out of me as a kid. Could <laughs> really? Scared the shit out of me. I could it not handle that movie. Stupid. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say Lady, the ending of Lady and the Tramp scared me as a kid. Really? For many, many yeah. years. Go figure. That's not the puppies thing. 
Uh, <laughs> three men and a baby scared the shit out of me because I believed all that bullshit about the fucking cardboard cutout in the background. Oh, that. Yeah. It used to creep me out. I'd be like, there's the dead kid's ghost. Ah! And just yeah. run into the other room. Yeah. All right, then. You know what, folks? Let's hear any historical inaccuracies of movies that you like to share. And you can do that through our plethora of social media, namely on our Facebook page for Nerds on Film and our company Twitter account at Nerdonomy. And you know what? You can also follow us personally on Twitter. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16. I am at Big Sean Mo, spelled S E A N Mo. And finally, you can find me on Twitter at the Sutorius. That is T E H. Sweet mystery of life at last I found you. <laughs> that is T H E S U T O R I U S. He gave in to peer pressure, folks. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and my we also held him down hacked, and beat him so with nunchucks. paying attention, yeah, <laughs> folks. Yeah, we want to apologize. Our our account for Neuronomy was hacked a couple days ago, and uh, earlier today there was another brute force attack on the account that didn't get hacked finally, but Twitter finally said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa," and uh, fired off a reset link to us anyway. So, um, if you get anything from us, we don't tend to direct message very much, and believe me, you'll know it's one of us, because we'll probably quote our name on it. Um, so if you get a DM from us, ignore it, because it's... If you, get a, if you get a DM from me, and it doesn't have a picture of my dick attached to it, you'll know it's not mine. <laughs> there you go. Finally, folks, it comes to that time where we ask for you to open your hearts and your wallets. If you can, we are a user-supported podcast. Uh, we are also a personally supported podcast. Uh, so, you know, if you like what you hear and you want us to do more, uh, if you find it in your hearts, please, uh, you can go to nerdonomy.com and click on the donate via PayPal button and give us any amount that you feel you have in, uh, to spare that we deserve. Uh, we'll take anything from one dollar all the way up to however much you feel is necessary, and it would go to. Uh, number of things, namely f- getting us a freaking ceiling uh, so that we can have consistent air conditioning in our nerd cave, as well as paying off our computer. Pretty please with sugar on top. Please. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> We're all sweating bullets right now. And not from nervousness, just because it's so freaking hot in here. My yeah. tits are melting off. <laughs> as sagging on the floor. <laughs> well, folks, until next time, stay nerdy. Tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye! Peace. Bye. Later. And roll credits. And now... Famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. We can do that ourselves. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of me.